Kia ora, no mai ki te whare. Welcome to The House. I'm Johnny Blades. Today on The House, we're looking back at two of the more important subjects MPs grappled with this week in the debating chamber and select committees. One is the repeal of major water reforms passed last term by the previous government. The other concerns the existential crisis facing this country's news media. The uncertainty around our future, and probably of every small town New Zealand newspaper and media company, and larger legacy organisations is mostly a result of the grossly unfair commercial advantages and market control that the international technology titans hold over all New Zealand media businesses. Parliament's Economic Development, Science and Innovation Select Committee has heard from a range of New Zealand's news media companies about how changes to the industry and the dominance of tech giants are killing them. The committee has been listening to submissions on a bill that seeks a more level playing field in the digital market that our media industry operates in. They argue that the tech giants whose digital platforms host news content that the media outlets produce are able to generate great revenue from this but share almost none of it with the outlets who do all the work. It's something affecting all New Zealand media companies, from the big outlets like RNZ, Stuff or The Herald, to the small town newspapers such as the Ashburton Guardian, whose co-owner and managing editor Daryl Holden was among those submitting to the committee. Simply those digital internet companies such as Google Meta, which runs Facebook and Instagram and Microsoft, are creaming it at the expense of every New Zealand media company, who in many ways are slowly but surely leading to death. That's because those internet giants are using and sharing news produced by New Zealand media organisations on their mega digital platforms at zero cost to themselves. They are reaping unimaginable wealth and power, building their businesses almost entirely off content created by others. The Fair Digital News Bargaining Bill was introduced by the previous Labour government and passed its first reading last August. It would create a bargaining system between New Zealand news media entities and operators of digital platforms to support commercial arrangements for news content. Daryl Holden welcomed the bill as a small step that can be taken to bring tech giants to the negotiating table. Well, it's been reported that Google's revenue in New Zealand was $78 million in 2022, but it also paid its parent company in the US a separate service fee of $870 million that year. A small country of $5 million delivers nearly $1 billion of value to Google. And what do New Zealand media companies get out of it? Bugger all. To be fair, Google has signed agreements with some New Zealand media companies including the Ashburton Guardian, but those last only up to five years. And as far as the Guardian is concerned, we accepted the deal from a position of no strength. The money we are paid by Google annually is a pittance. I'm almost embarrassed to say how much we get because it would not be enough to hire one graduate journalist. This type of legislation was introduced in Australia a couple of years ago, after initial pushback from the likes of Meta and Google, which was also echoed in Canada, Australia's move has helped to address the imbalance and resulted in a boost to the resourcing of journalism. Media executives submitting to the committee were unanimous in their support for the bill. Sinead Boucher spoke to the committee both in her capacity of executive chair and publisher of Stuff and as president of the News Publishers Association. Every single one of the members of the MPA has... um, worked tirelessly to try and adapt their business to meet the new needs of audiences and consumers across digital platforms and other formats. But it is a losing battle when the 
value that is um, that you're creating from your content is flowing in its majority to the digital tech giants, global tech giants. We have no people on the ground doing no work here, um, yet have somehow also trapped publishers within their ecosystem. I don't think it's generally well understood how, how much they control the entire digital ecosystem. They control access to the internet, access to your audience. They harness your customer data and build products off it. They, use, they control the advertising technology and are able to set pricing and, and the sort of digital advertising world there. Um, the tendrils are everywhere. RNZ's chief executive, Paul Thompson, was another of the submitters. How do we sustain a viable, diverse, trusted media sector to keep our democracy safe and strong? Um, it's not a given that we'll be able to do that as a sector without some change. And the bill is one step that we can take as a country to um, build that sustainability in, in the future. A robust media system is not a nice to have. It's absolutely essential for us as a sovereign nation. Um, it's essential to a cohesive informed democracy and it's the bedrock of our sovereignty as a nation. If we don't tell our stories and own our stories, someone else will come in and do it for us um, from offshore. One of the tech giants, Meta, said the bill would not solve the long-standing digital transformation challenges facing the industry. It alleges the bill will compel Meta to enter into commercial agreements that ultimately ignore the realities of how their platform works. Its voluntary nature, the preferences of the people who come to Meta for content and the free value that they say they provide news publishers. Meanwhile, Paul Thompson told the committee that media entities aren't looking for a handout, they're looking for a level playing field. It's a level playing field that allows us to enter into good faith negotiations and extract fair value from those discussions. If they were going to happen to a satisfactory level, they would have happened by now. So this is not a silver bullet. This legislation is not a silver bullet for our industry. I think it's quite a modest practical step that we can take as a country and we're going to have to do a whole lot of other things as a nation in the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years to sustain our media. I think the media sector itself needs to do a lot more under its own steam. You as legislators are going to have to do more as well. Um, our communities are going to have to think about it as well. So the real problem that we face is that there will be growing gaps in our journalism. Paul Thompson emphasised that media entities understand acutely that they need to operate in the digital world if they are to survive. Uh, well, as I've said, if you take our really strong, core, loyal radio audience, they're about 700,000 people a week, our digital audience would be twice that. So... Wow. You get to, more, you get to yeah. more members of the community. And we're a public good organisation, so we don't have the massive business model constraints of the commercial operators, but we do have that audience challenge of being relevant in people's lives. And it is a really good point. None of us as media um, outlets can choose not to engage digitally. The bill appoints the Broadcasting Standards Authority as the independent regulator to oversee the bargaining environment established by the bill and monitor compliance with the duties and responsibilities established by the bill. The BSA's chief executive, Stacey Wood, told the committee that one thing missing from the bill is an official Information Act override clause to protect against the release of confidential and commercially sensitive information. We and many of the media that we've engaged with do wonder if the information gathering powers in the bill are slightly too broad as currently drafted. 
The regulator does need a clear mandate to be able to gather the information it needs to do its job, uh, but there are some understandable reservations about giving more information than, than is reasonably necessary, particularly where that's commercially sensitive. The industry has been facing into financial headwinds and existential challenges for years, and this bill won't solve all of the sector's problems, uh, but it will help. Other measures will still be needed to resolve issues like the rise of disinformation and other online harms. This bill doesn't get in the way or prevent any of those other measures. We see it as a targeted, right-touch approach to help achieve fair outcomes between commercial parties. Considering that the National and ACT parties voted against this bill in August, it remains to be seen whether the current coalition government will support this bill or how much they might like to change it. One of the submitting groups who opposed the bill in its current form, the Free Speech Union, was concerned that the bill demanded that participating media organisations must abide by professional standards if they were to enter bargaining, which the FSU suggested undermined their editorial independence. Now, using our editorial independence, we're switching to another subject entirely. And if you've been following the news, you'll know the government has repealed water reforms passed last term by the previous government, reforms otherwise known as Three Waters. The Water Services Act's repeal bill passed through all its stages under urgency this week. Here are some of the debate's salient points from the minister behind the repeal and the opposition MP who held that portfolio last year when the reforms were finally passed. Starting with the Minister of Local Government, Simeon Brown of the National Party, who said the legislation served multiple purposes. It repeals the Labour's three waters legislation, thereby removing the 10-entity model which prescribed co-governance ensuring that water assets, and this bill will ensure water assets remain under the local ownership of local councils. Right. Additionally, it halts the establishment of the economic regulation and consumer protection regime for those 10 mega bureaucratic entities. Secondly, Mr Speaker, this bill uh, disestablishes the Northland and Auckland Water Services entity, ending the costly and unnecessary activity involved in setting up this body, including significant IT contracts. The termination of this work is anticipated to save a further $343 million, aligning with the, our government's objective to curbing irresponsible spending. Thirdly, the bill relieves pressure on councils that will now need to include water services in their long-term plan. Labour's Kieran McAnulty said the government had repealed a provision that would have prevented unaffordable bills for ratepayers. They went to the electorate at the election. The Minister Crows, that they were given a mandate at the election, this was what they campaigned on. And technically that's true. But they also campaigned on the basis of funding councils to do this work. They also campaigned on the basis of reducing rates. They campaigned on the basis of having council control, council ownership, and balance sheet separation. And that is dishonest, because you can't do them all. Their own advice says so. When the minister on Morning Report today declared that this will be cheaper, he didn't say it will be cheaper for ratepayers. He said it will be cheaper for them. This makes it easier for the government to pay for their tax cuts, because they don't have to continue to support councils to go along with this reform process. 
Regarding the reforms introduced by Labour, the new government objected to provisions for co-governance, which would have given Māori with mana whenua to the area a 50% presence on strategic oversight boards. It also objected to taking assets out of local ownership and management. The policy implemented by the prior government was not only fiscally irresponsible but deeply divisive across New Zealand. It pursued an unpopular co-governance model that lacked the foresight and lacked working with councils to find out what worked for them. The extraordinary amount of money did not result in the improvements needed to our water infrastructure in New Zealand. This government is not in the business of simply stipulating to local councils how they should be uh, investing in their water infrastructure. Kieran McInnoldy said it was disingenuous of the government to suggest that what was being repealed was the Three Waters reforms in their original form. The original proposals of four entities did indeed meet a lot of opposition from local councils. But there hasn't actually been any talk from the government about the reaction to the proposals once they were amended, because those amendments took on board the feedback that councils gave. And actually, a majority of councils supported that because it was regionalised and because it achieved balance sheet separation. Because every council had a seat on the regional representation group, they had input, they had influence, but they were able to remove the debt from the books. And that is the crucial point. Meanwhile, Simeon Brown said legislation to establish the government's planned replacement regime for water reforms will be introduced to Parliament by the middle of this year. You've been listening to The House, a programme made possible with funding from Parliament's Office of the Clerk. Matewa.